So we've been going through Ephesians, and we're almost there. And <laughs> during the greeting last week, uh, one of you said to me, this is great. What's next week's topic about? And I said, slaves and masters. And they said, ooh, how are you going to preach that? And I said, well, I'm just going to speak what the word of God says to us. There's nothing that needs to be spun. And, uh, and it sounds awkward to us, but we'll journey through this. In Ephesians, we're, we're getting a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus and probably other places. And in this six chapters, in the first half of it, he's just giving a theology about who God is and what God has done. Then he jumps into the second half to say, in light of who God is and what he has done through Jesus Christ, live a life worthy of the gospel. So if you're a Christian, one of the bases and the standards we live by is not, am I living a good life, but am I living a life worthy of the gospel? Am I living a life worthy of the one who died and took my place so I could live? And how do I live that? And that's the practicality of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. So we said, so he frames it by saying, in all things submit to one another so husbands and wives can live together. Men, we could live by telling wives what to do, right? So see who's paying attention. If, if you're going amen, you're not listening. <laughs> Paul tells us to submit to one another. So how does it look? The wife, in all her glory and wisdom, says, I will yield to you, husband. You lead. Not because I'm weaker, but I'm going to allow you, you to lead. And for the husbands, we don't lead with leadership and power because we're better, smarter, good-looking, but we lead as Christ did, and it's worse than that. We die for the wife. I mean, it, it, I mean we fight over channels. <laughs> I want to watch Home Improvement, but it's beyond that, that would you die for your wife as Jesus died for the church? This mutual submission makes marriage happen. And he talks about children and parents, how you should live. Children, obey your parents, for it is the, it is the first command with a promise. But fathers, don't exasperate your children. Meaning, how could you do that? How could you do that? Oh, you're a failure, or anything like that. And he says, in this setting as followers of Christ, we encourage children to train up in the ways of Jesus Christ. And we love them and nourish them, and encourage them to say, one day you will be independent of me, but you will be always dependent on Jesus Christ. So today we get to the slaves and masters, and as we go into this, how Jesus and his gospel transforms all relationships, it even affects slavery and masters. So some of you are thinking, how primitive they have slavery. January 1st, 1863, does that date sound familiar to you? Come on, Jeopardy. What is? I, I had to look it up too, I didn't know. Emancipation, proclamation. 151 years ago. That's not a long time. In our country, only 151 years ago was slavery illegal. So when we look at Paul and he talks about slave and master, we're like, how primitive. We're so sophisticated. In our nation's history, we had slavery. And only a few years ago, do we give even women the right to vote. So Paul is speaking about to the church and to the world, saying in Christ, something has been renewed. There's a revolution going on, and it even affects slave and masters. But I want to tell you, slavery back in Paul's time was not as uh, more loving <laughs> but it was different than the way we understand slavery. For one, 
Slavery in Paul's time was never permanent. If you were born into slavery, you were never a slave for the rest of your life. In America and Western countries in 19th century, it was. You were born, you r e property. In Paul's time, slavery was never dictated by ethnicity. We are this race, you are that race, you're a slave. In Paul's time, it was dictated by uh, indentured servants. If a family couldn't pay debt, in a loving way, they would work it off. Sometimes they would go to war and win, and the soldiers who were defeated, instead of going to prison, were indentured servants, so they would have to work. It's it's not not more pleasing, but it's definitely different. It was also a very common culture for people to volunteer. Even Hebrews were slaves to other Hebrews. How do we know that? In Deuteronomy, how many of you have your ears pierced? Come on, raise your hand. Do you know where that originated in the Bible? Ear pierced was that a family worked for another family as slaves, indentured servants. And the master was so good to them. They said, when we're free, I don't want to be free. I want to stay here with you. And the master would say, you can't stay here. So they went to the court. And what court would do is, they say, you sure you want to stay with this master and this family? We're like family. Okay. Then they would take their ear, put it to a post, and pierce it. And that earring would dictate By choice, I want to be a servant and be with this family. There's a song called, Pierce My Ear, O Lord My God, Have Your Way With Me. It's a beautiful song that I grew up with in the youth group. But it's this idea that that was a form of slavery. So it's very different. The point is, it's so different from the way we view slavery. But yet, it was not that much less brutal. Masters often could do whatever they want to slaves in this time And what Paul says to slaves and masters who happen to be Christian is revolutionary. Can I say something really clear, though? In no way does the Bible nor Paul condone slavery. He's saying if you are a follower of Christ and you happen to be in a situation where you are a slave or you're a master, live in this way. So he's not not supporting it. He's not condoning it. He's not saying Hey, that's the way it is. What he's saying is, we'll look into it. So turn with me to Ephesians 6, chapter uh, chapter 6, verse 5 and 9. He says, let me start off by saying, he says really radical things to both slaves and masters. And he says to slaves this. Slaves. So can you imagine? They're getting a letter. They're like, yes. Woo. Paul's writing a letter for us. Defy your earthly master because your heavenly father will give you victory. You know, maybe they're looking for something like that. Or soon you shall be free. Or Paul says this, slaves. What's the first word? Obey. Obey your earthly masters. Wow, you see where he's going to go with that, huh? Obey your earthly masters. Implied, there's two masters you have. With respect and fear. This word fear is not like If I don't do it, are you going to punish me? The word fear here is this reverence that uh, is a super version of respect. With sincerity of heart, just as you would, say it, obey who? Christ. So he says something incredible. What Paul is saying is, slaves, your obedience to your earthly master is confirmed. But obey because you have a heavenly master. So he says, work with all your heart, 
work even when no one is watching. In America, I'm sure we do that. I'm, I'm sure all of us are susceptible one time or another. I delivered newspapers. I had many jobs ever since I was in fifth grade. I, I worked because, you know, we didn't have money. And there are times when you're tempted, maybe, when no one's watching, you're like, I could just, you know, kind of sneak back. I was reading about uh, construction workers and they, the public workers, and they, they would get mad at the new employee who works really hard because they say, you're making us look bad. <laughs> so they work a three-hour job in like eight hours. Why? So they could work overtime because it has to get done. This is a true story. So when they work overtime, they work really hard to get that double pay. And then when the, when the, you know, the, 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 the supervisor comes, they work really hard. <laughs> but when he leaves, they're like, okay, everybody, we could chill out. This was documented in one of the investigations. And what Paul is saying is, we do that today. When no one is watching, you feel like slacking off. And he's saying to slaves, even when no one's watching, work at it with all your heart. So you know who else talked like that? You're like, boy, that's really hard. Jesus. Do you know what Jesus said to those who were under oppression? He says, when someone says to you, go walk, in, walk a mile with me, which means carry my bag and drop what you're doing, I'm a Roman soldier, you're a Jew, follow me. You know what Jesus says? He says, good, you take that bag and say, thank you, sir. Can I walk another mile for you? Jesus says that. And he says, when somebody insults you by saying, you're a dork, then you say, quietly, meekly, you turn the other cheek. So he's not talking about fist fighting. He's talking about insults and being subdued. And you, Jesus is saying, this is how you live in my kingdom, your pride. It's not that you're undignified, but would you be willing to serve those who are unfair? So Paul is echoing Jesus Christ and this revolutionary, and he says this to masters. You ready for this? This is crazy. This is, should not be, this cannot be in the Bible unless Jesus Christ came and revolutionized everything. Do you hear what he's saying to masters? And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. You know what he's saying to masters of those times? No one has ever uttered these words. You, you see your slaves? You are equal to your slaves. What would have happened in America if you said that to some cotton plantation back in like 1820? <laughs> hey, slave master, you and your slaves, do you know that God says you guys are equal? You would probably be <laughs> probably beaten up. And what Paul is saying 2,000 years ago is this. You see, if you're a master, I want you to know something. You are equal to your slaves. He says it three times. First, he says, treat your slaves in the same way. The way they treat you, guess what? Serve them wholeheartedly. Unheard of. <laughs> then he also says, do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master, guess who their master is? Same as your master. <laughs> you both have the same master. Third, he says, um, he says, and there is no favoritism with him. When Jesus looks down, he's telling the masters. He doesn't say, masters, come here. You stay in first class heaven. And slaves, you stay in second class heaven. But don't complain, you're in heaven. <laughs> Jesus doesn't do that. What he's saying is, we're all equal. Can you guys look around and just do something fun for me? Just look around. See men, women, old, young, different races, and just say, hey, we're all equal in Christ. Can you say that? It's so corny, but say it. Can you say it? You know? And now it's, it's like dorky, and it's like quirky. 
But, but here's the truth of the matter. When I read the news in 21st century, in sophisticated humanity, in America, we still struggle with that. We still like to believe I am better than others. We still like to believe that maybe I'm wiser, maybe because my ethnicity, maybe my generation, maybe because my, my class, we're like, hey, we don't have caste system in America, but when, when I go to hospitals and I see, I see sometimes how janitors are treated when doctors come, there's not this equality of like, how are you doing? And this, we have this vi vision in America that I am better because I'm in a different caste. We struggle with that. It may not be you. It may not be anyone in this church. Maybe this church is unique. But in this world, we struggle with that. And what Paul is saying here is, in Christ, guess what? There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. And he's saying to masters something completely radical. There is no, you guys, masters, are equal to your slaves. That is revolutionary. So what does that mean? So in Christ, you guys are all, have been equaled out. Wow. By the way, this is why Christianity was actually one of the first to give women's rights. Christ, Jesus was the first one to acknowledge in a time where women were not acknowledged their worth. And God said that regardless of your nationality, you guys can all become the children of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? I love that. So it's not just like trite, we're all equal, but it's the steep in Christ. We have all become equal. Wow. So when you look at this text and people say the Bible condones, you know, slavery, if you read this text, there is no way you could conclude that 18th and 17th century slavery in America could be justified by the biblical text. That's why as often as Bible is, it was distorted and twisted. It doesn't condone slavery. In fact, Jesus Christ releases us from it. So application, couple of things. Let me just leave home with. So what does that mean? We live in 2014. We don't have slave and masters, so irrelevant to us. But uh, can I ask you something? Some of you guys work. Some of you feel like slaves. <laughs> Some of you are masters or uh, managers or bosses, and you act like slave masters. I know in church, that's how I run the church. Elvin, listen to me, get my coffee. And Elvin's like, yes, sir. True story. No, you know that's not true. But it can happen, right? Listen, you work for me, and you do what I say, or else you're fired. Wow, maybe we don't have slavery or indentured servants, but maybe there is some relevance here. Maybe, right? So a couple of applications here. One is, if Jesus Christ and Paul are calling us to say, wherever you are, as unfair as it is, whatever work you have, if you're serving me, this is how it revolutionizes work. Your work is not just a job. It's always a calling. Your work, no matter what you're doing, is a calling. Tim Keller said this. Oh, I love it. Just yesterday, he posted this on Facebook, and I was like, thanks, Tim. You know, I needed that. He wrote this. Um, he says, um, he says, Jesus came into this world not as a philosopher or a general, but as a carpenter. And then he says, all work matters to God. All work matters to God. It's a calling. Whether I had a job one 
UPS, I worked in the UPS, they put me in a closet, literally. My job for one week, you know what it was? They gave me a pile of UPC codes and I had to scan all day, eight hours a day, UPC codes to work on their data system. It was the most mindless, brutal job. I mean, I mean, I was like, wow, I'm getting paid for this, but at the same time, I'm about to go have a meltdown for one week in a closet. And then I finished by like Tuesday, because I was like, I can't do that. So I did it really fast, and my boss is like, slow down, you're making me look bad. So he, he's like, go get a book and read it, close your closet doors. And I was like in a prison reading my book. Anyway, all work, it's a calling. So in other words, there is no job that is holy. Well, pastor, you're, you're the pastor. You, you talk about God. Toll collectors, crossing guards, trash collectors, servicemen, stewardesses, all work in God's eyes is a calling because he's saying, ultimately, who are you working for? For me. So, by the way, think of Whittier La Mirada if the trash pickup service just stopped. Give it four days and see what would happen. All work makes society go in a pragmatic way, but in God's eyes, all work is important. You know how I know this? Just this past week, Robin Williams sadly went, uh, went a little bit too early. And we know him because his job, his, his calling, he was so good at it. I don't know if he was a Christian or not, but you could tell by the world's response what an impact he had with his little job, how he did it. And I, I found a little story where Robin Williams wasn't just a celebrity, but he was eating donut two in the morning, a family who just lost their grandparents through murder-suicide, came back from a funeral, they're grieving, and they go into the donut shop, and Robin Williams notices that they're, you know, <laughs> that they're sad and dressed up nicely. So he goes, talks to them, and the son is watching all this, and he says, I don't know what they talked about, but Robin Williams was just a humble, down-to-earth guy and made my parents laugh for the first time in weeks. And he said, I don't know what, what, anything about him, but he knows how to serve and care for people. You see, no matter what you do, we can look at our job and say, this is for the Lord. And sometimes in America, we have this view that it's one or the other. Like, do you live to work or do you work to live? And the Bible is saying neither of those is right. Sometimes we live to work, right? I live so I can work. My job is my identity. When you meet somebody, you usually start with this. Hi, what's your name? Jason. And then they always ask me, what do you do? You know, as if my identity is tied to my work. In America, where we work to live or live to work, the Bible says neither of those are right. In your work, in your life, it's always a calling of God. And that shifts everything. So with that, that's the first thing we look at. Do I look at my job as a calling? Or do I look at it as like, oh, I got to work so I could pay the bills. And what Paul is saying is, whatever you do, work at it with wholeheartedness. Whatever menial job you have, be grateful because you're serving the Lord. Second, he's telling us, regardless of your boss, work hard. That's one thing for all of us. Don't raise your hand, but maybe you have bad bosses. Don't raise your hand. Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Pat Elvin, don't raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. So, He's saying sometimes we have bad bosses, but how do followers of Jesus Christ work? And he says, employees who have bad bosses obey your bosses with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. I think that would fly. Obey them not only to win their favor so I could get a raise, my review's coming up, 
when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Wow, how would it look different if you realize my boss stinks, but my boss is really Jesus Christ? And if Jesus Christ was in the cubicle next to me, would I work in the same way? And what Paul is saying is, that's you. That's how we live a life worthy of the calling. Don't do it because people are watching you. Do it because you want to do it with excellence, regardless of your boss. Uh, I, I'm going to share this with you. I can't remember. I shared it with some of you. A uh, few people during this past five years at this church said to me, you're our employee. We pay you. You do what we want, basically. And I said, whoa. <laughs> no, I, I didn't do that. <laughs> I, I, so I said, I said, I didn't affirm it, nor did I condemn it. And I said, let's be clear here. Not because I'm a man of God, but because it, whether I'm a carpenter, whether I'm a librarian, I have one boss. And he is so much scarier than you. <laughs> I serve, God is my boss. Uh, integrity, excellence, humility comes because I serve him, not because I serve you. And ironically, even with that, I will serve you. You see how it changes, it redefines, the gospel redefines how we view even the people we work for. You don't have to like them, but you can respect them. You don't have to agree with them, but you can be excellent in what you do because we serve a Savior. So two more things, practical things. So one is, you know, work with calling, Two, work hard regardless of your boss because Jesus Christ is your real boss. Two more. One is, next one is this. You're never meant to find meaning in life through your work. Some of you need to hear that. I'm going to say it one more time. You never are supposed to find meaning of life through your work. In other words, my job doesn't determine my worth. If work is a calling and Jesus Christ is my boss, your meaning comes from Jesus Christ. Amen? But in America, we serve as if our job dictates my esteem and self-worth. My job stinks. I hate myself. Or my job is great. I got to keep working at it. Kids, vacation in two years, I promise. We'll go to Hawaii. But I got to work. Daddy's got to work. Honey, we'll go on that vacation. Just you and I. Just wait a little bit longer. And you make your life work about your esteem. And in Jesus Christ, our work, if it's a calling, we don't do that. Let me just read this to you. Um, it's an article called The Coronary and Ulcer Club. It's, a, it's from 1993, but it's relevant today. It lists following rules for members. Coronary and ulcer club. It's, it's facetious. So if you want to join this club, this is how you work. Your job comes first. Forget everything else. Saturdays, Sundays, and holidays are fine times to be working at church, at, at office. Well, that was 40 and slip. Always have your briefcase with you when not at your desk. This provides an opportunity to review completely all the troubles and worries of the day. Today, we call it iPhone. Always look at your iPhone and follow up on work, wherever you are, even when you're on a date with your wife or your husband. Never say no to a request. Always say yes. Testify. Anybody want to testify? Okay. Accept all invitations to meetings, banquets, and committees. All forms of recreation are a waste of time. Never delegate responsibility to others. Carry the entire load yourself. This is, again, coronary and ulcer club. 
If your work calls for traveling, work all day and travel at night to keep the appointment you made for 8 the next morning. Lastly, no matter how many jobs you are already doing, remember that you always can take on more. And your family says, hallelujah, my dad is bringing in the income and that's all I want. You know that's not true. Children, by the way, they were all asked, what do you want most from your dad or mom? You know what they always say? Always. I want them. I want them. So sometimes, I'm not sure what 21st century America got us into, but if it's about looking, keeping up with the Joneses, finding my worth in it, we are not living worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. That does not mean work hard. Work hard. Work passionately. Do a great job. But what it does not mean is find your worth through your job. Pastors struggle with this. Sunday sermons falls on his face, and I go home, and I'm like, I suck. <laughs> I, I hate myself. And my wife is like, stop singing. She doesn't, figuratively. And I realize, man, I struggle with that. Sometimes we find this meaning in our worth. And what God is saying to us is, you find meaning in me. Amen? And work is an outlet for you to glorify me in all that you do. Lastly, if you're a boss, <laughs> If you are truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you never, if you're a Christian, by the way, if, if you, don't do, you can't do this, please don't tell people you're Christian. You're making us all look bad and dumb. If you're a boss, never, ever al allow yourself to subordinate or condescend your employees. There's no room for it. I'm not a slave owner. No, but you can serve them. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a boss, you can belittle them. So we never threaten them. We never, we, ne we nourish them, we train them, we encourage them. And when they say, why are you such a great boss? You can say, because I have an even greater boss that I can't keep up with. His name is Jesus. I want to do good work, but I want you to know. I want to nourish you. How are you doing? I know some of you who manage people, and you exemplify to me what this looks like in everyday life. How you lead your employees through prayer, how you care for them, how you meet with them, how you counsel them. I'm thinking like, wow, I want to work for you. <laughs> and this is what Paul is saying. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. So um, uh, in, in, in a, there's an article just this past week from Australia, small business, best CEO traits. You want to hear it? Best CEO traits, six. Be friendly, be flexible, be down to earth. Somebody quoted he went out and did the hard work too and filled in when it was busy. Every other manager in our company wouldn't leave their desk, but the CEO did. Four, be compassionate. Five, be dependable. And six, this one challenged me, be upbeat. Wow. Doesn't that look like a personification of a master who doesn't belittle their employees as slaves? So it's, it's huge. So... If the sermon ended there, we could pray and say, God, help us to be better workers and bosses. Amen. But I think there's a bigger power that allows us to do that. Because when Paul keeps saying, as you serve Christ and as Christ served you, who became a slave for you? Jesus. Who became a servant to wash the feet of those who sinned against him? Christ Jesus. Who voluntarily gave himself indentured completely without anything and died on the cross literally naked 
for you and I. Jesus Christ. You see, the power for serving humbly, the power for serving a boss who's a pain in the butt, the power for being a boss who is humble is because we have a God who created this universe, the one who was the Word, and the one who came to life, the Word became flesh, the one who created all things became you and my slave and died on the cross. And this is what Jesus says in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, how do you have the capacity to humble yourself in church as an elder or deacon, in church as a committee leader, to serve humbly and not like think I am the boss? You look at Jesus Christ and you let his power penetrate your soul and realize I can do all things through him. Amen? When you realize he came down to serve you, there is no one you could ever look down upon and say, I am better than you. Wow. And that same gospel, there is no one who is far from Jesus who, is, who can never say, Jesus, I want that grace. And he says, come. Maybe you need that grace today. Maybe you needed this push. Maybe you hate your job. <laughs> Maybe you hate your boss. But don't try your best out of your own nobility. Try your best out of your own death to yourself and as Christ lives in you. The power to serve is through the one who served for us. Amen? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to be servants. And when you wash the disciples' feet and say, as you have seen me do, do to others, I don't know where the church messed up, but sometimes we feel like we'd rather be the one getting our feet washed than to be the one putting on the rag, getting on our knees, and going to those who we despise and washing their feet. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our pretentiousness. And God, help us to be servants, whether in a job, whether in relationship, whether serving the church, which is ultimately serving you, Make us humble and transform us from the inside out about what it means to be a work as a calling, what it means to follow you as our ultimate boss. And God, some of us in this country genuinely struggle with finding a job, and we pray that you would give them patience and strength, and when the time comes, no matter what work that's given to them at the time, that in the end, we could find the power and strength to say, Lord, thank you. It's ultimately you that I serve. Help me to serve faithfully. God, in our church, raise up servant leaders who, is, who are able to go out into the harvest and serve one another, to serve those outside of this church, to serve those who are on the fringes and the margins, not because we are so nice, but because we have been called to be servants and slaves to them as well. So open our eyes. Break down this comfort. And Jesus, send us out. May you receive all the glory and all the honor and praise that is due to your name, Jesus, our Master and our Lord. Amen.